Well, as you can see from the uh, title slide, we're on the second part of a two-part message today on what has happened and what is to come. You'll recall that I asked the congregation to submit questions of things that they would like to hear a sermon on. And one of the topics that came up numerous times was that of prophecy and the end times. And uh, what we're doing today is continuing looking at these subjects. Now, as I said last time, I know that some of you here are not a fan of these type of topics. Uh, the big word for this is eschatology. And, and what we looked at last time and saw is that if you're somebody who's not really that interested in what is going to happen, you're saying, you know, I know God's in control and that's okay. What you can pull from a message like this today is the understanding of two things. One is that the Bible that you hold in your hand is indeed the Word of God. What it shows as we look at these prophecies, the things that God said would happen and then were fulfilled. Like we looked at last time in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, God revealed over 600 years before the event happened, the very day that the Messiah would come. This is not anything that man can make up. So what it tells us is the Bible that we hold in our hand can be trusted as indeed God's word. Second, what it shows us is that the one who came, the promised Messiah, who was God's son, Jesus Christ, is indeed who he said he would be. As we looked and saw in Daniel 9.24, we saw that the reason God revealed these things, the reason his son would come, it said, was to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. And so as we look at these things, these end time events, I don't want you to lose sight of that. That is the main reason God revealed all of this to us. It was so that we could come to know his son, Jesus Christ, the one who came to pay the penalty of death that we owed for our sins on the cross. That's why the Messiah was cut off, as we saw last time in Daniel 9. Now, if you were not here to hear that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's online on our website under waysidechapel.org. You can go to the sermon section, and all the sermons are there. Another thing that is there is the slides that you will see. Many of you, as you came in, picked up a bulletin, and in it you'll find a chart. That chart is in reprintable form on our website, so if you want to send copies of that to friends or have extra copies for the future, you can just download that and print it off. All the slides you're going to see today are on our website, so don't feel like you have to fervently uh, write to try to keep up with these things. As we are talking about what is to come in this chart that I mentioned, it looks something similar to this. Now, it's a different color. And some of you, if you haven't looked in your bulletin already and found the chart, are looking at that and saying, I'm lost already. Is this really what we're going to talk about? Now, as you know, if you're ever lost and you're in a mall, the first thing you do is go to this, the little sign of the mall there, the little map, and you say, where am I? And you'll see something that says, you are here. So let me tell you on this chart, you are here. And where you are is in what is called the present time. This is something, again, that we talked about last time. It's called the church age. Now, we're going to walk through this chart and take it apart piece by piece. So don't be overwhelmed by the, the slide that you see in front of you. So how, when, when I say you are here, the first thing I need to remind you of is how we got here. And this is what we talked about last time. We're not going to go into the depth of Daniel 9. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. If you don't like the internet, you can sign up in the foyer. There's a card from Discipleship Tape Ministry, and they will get you a CD of last week's message. But what we saw in Daniel 9 is the backbone of prophecy. God revealed to us the events that would take place, the 77s. And we saw that the sevens there were seven-year periods. And what had happened is we were told from the issuing of a decree, and you see the text there, and we found out that this decree would be issued on March 5th, 444 B.C. And then this set in motion the, the first part of Daniel's prophecy. There were the seven weeks or 49 years, then the 62 weeks, uh, another 434 years, and then it said the Messiah would be cut off. And we saw this spoke of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Again, the whole purpose was to reveal to us when the Son of God would come. And why he would come was to go to the cross to pay the penalty of death for our sins. And once Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried in the tomb. He rose from the dead three days later. And then he walked the earth for 40 days, appearing to more than 500 witnesses before he returned, ascended into heaven, where he is currently seated at the right hand of God. 
And we saw that he is there in heaven. We are in this church age, and we are waiting for an event to restart the prophetic clock, that final 70th seven, the seven-year period that we saw that is left to come. And the event that we saw will happen that will restart the clock is called the rapture. Now, I, I told you that we get these words rapture. Rapturo is the Latin word that means to be caught up. When the Vulgate, the Bible, was translated uh, into Latin, this is where these words came from. People sometimes say, I don't see these words in the Bible. Well, if you were reading a Latin Bible, you would see here in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, rapturo. And what 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17 tells us is that we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. This is speaking about Christians who have died. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is speaking about those of you who are present right now physically alive. If you've lost a, a loved one or friend who is a believer in Jesus Christ, that is who they're talking about. And it says, those will not, they're not going to be left behind. In fact, when the rapture, when we get caught up to meet the Lord in the air, it says they will precede us. They will rise from the graves first. And then we who are alive will be raptured, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Now in this next slide, I've labeled the rapture the pre-tribulational rapture. And I know that there may be some here this morning who say, I don't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. And in a moment, we'll talk about just very briefly some of the other positions. But when it comes to the rapture, uh, this, this tribulation, what is the tribulation? Well, as we saw last time, the tribulation is that final 70th week, the seven years that are left to be uh, revealed. And this is called the tribulation period. And we talked about in the middle of that week, Daniel said in Daniel uh, 9.27, but in the middle of the week or three and a half years in, the abomination of desolation will take place. Now, during this tribulation period, uh, there will be a, a time of intense persecution, which is commonly called the Great Tribulation. And this is the, that second three and a half or year period. When the middle of the week event occurs, then theologians call that second part of the tribulation the Great Tribulation. And there are some who hold to a mid-tribulational position, and simply what that means is in the middle of the tribulation is when they believe we who are Christians will then be raptured. They say we go through a period of suffering and trials here on the earth, but at the mid-trib position we will be raptured. Now there are still others that are post-tribulational, and some of you are going post-trib, pre-trib, pre-mill. I, I had post-toasties this morning. What does all this mean? Well, again, if it's not something that fully interests you, just let that pass by. But what I want you to understand is these, these are the different positions sometimes you hear people saying. And, and I want you as believers to be able to understand and to converse what's happening. But don't break fellowship with another believer who says, I, I hold a different view than you. That is, that is a non-essential issue that I just say to somebody, that's fine. If you want to go through the time of suffering, I'll see you in heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the first bus, okay? So the mid-tribulation will say in the middle of the tribulation we go. The post-tribulational people say that we go after the full seven-year period. Now, I, I labeled this pre-tribulational, and you see on your chart some of these verses. You can go back and look at yourselves. But I just want to read them for you because 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us to wait for his son from heaven. This is Jesus. Remember, he is ascended into heaven. It says to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, this tribulation period. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.10 tells us, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you, 
We're going to talk about that word in a minute. I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. You see that we are kept from the hour of testing, this time of wrath. Now, why, why is there, I, I said that word there, uh, we would focus on for a minute, but I want you just to look at this slide. Uh, well, these are the tri- this is the tribulation period. This is what Daniel spoke of. And what we will do is we will go through, uh, once the rapture occurs, remember there's going to be this time of chaos. People will be taken from the earth. If just even a quarter of the world's population, and, and there are more than that who claim to be Christians, suddenly disappears in a moment. Imagine what will happen to this world. We talked last time about here in the United States that claims to be a Christian nation. Think of how the military will be crippled with all of those who are believers if they are suddenly gone. Think of the collapse of the banking system. Think of all the things that will happen in our nation as there's this chaos. So this, this uh, satanic representative will come and he will bring order out of the chaos worldwide. And this is the person that the covenant is being made with. And Israel is in view here. There is a time of protection during this first part of the tribulation. But then when the abomination of desolation takes place, this is where the satanic representative will set up an image to be worshipped in the rebuilt temple of Satan to be worshipped as God. And at this point, the, the great tribulation will take place. Now, within the uh, tribulation period, uh, I was looking for a slide I actually had that had the, the Greek words. I guess that didn't make it into the, the new presentation. Uh, let me just go through those words for a moment. The, the words that you find in Revelation 3.10, when it says that we were preserved in and through the tribulation, there are prepositions that are used. The word in means in. It's E-N in the Greek text. Then there's another word, dia, D-I-A, which means through. But instead of using those words, the Greek word ek, E-K, which means out of or out from within, uh, is what we find. Now, some believe I saw, we saw that it said we are kept through or protected through the tribulation. But as you look at a Greek lexicon, which is like a fancy big dictionary that defines the words for us, what it tells us about this, this uh, preposition ek is that it denotes separation. It introduces the place from which the separation takes place. So what's that saying is that we who are Christians who are here on the earth, when we are taken out of the tribulation, we are removed from this place of tribulation. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Have you ever seen one of those high voltage signs on a fence around a big electrical transformer station that says, keep out? What does that mean? Does it mean that you uh, go into that area and you'll be protected? Or does it mean if you want to stay safe, stay out of there? So when it says that we are taken out of the tribulation, God is not keeping us in and through that period of time. It's like when a student is excused from a test. You know, if I tell you you're excused, it's not that you sit in the classroom and fold your arms and watch everybody else during the test, right? What the teacher says is you're excused, you can leave. You don't have to go through this time of testing. And for the church, when we are removed in the church age that we are in, it says that Christ will, will call his bride, which is the church made up of all of us who are believers, home. So we are taken from the earth to be with God in heaven. When you think of that post-tribulational position, and, and it says that we are taken up, but then we immediately return at the second coming, why would God remove us to simply rubber band us right back to earth? So what is happening is we are taken up through uh, this time, and then we get into, when you look at what the tribulation period is, um, as you read through the scriptures in in, uh, Revelation 6 through 16, you find what is called the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. Many of the questions I received, people were asking, uh, what part of this are we in right now? Are we in this bowl? Are we in this seal? And these kind of things. Now, if you've never read through Revelation to see what all of these things are, let me explain what we're looking at. If you look in your Bible at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, this is what we read about a scene that is in heaven. It says in Revelation 5, 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, 
sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy in the book or, in the, or, or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome as to open the book and its seven seals. Now, the one that is in view here is Jesus Christ. And we're told that there is a book, a scroll. Remember, things were rolled up in that day. And it says that it is sealed. If you've ever seen a, a wax seal on something, uh, it was used to show that a document had not been tampered with. If you tried to open something, it would break the wax. And so what we are told is there is this scroll in heaven that contains the coming judgments. And it is sealed up with these different seals. And it shows that nobody has tampered with it. This has not yet been opened. And it says that nobody in all of heaven is worthy except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who will begin the judgment. And it says that Jesus then will come and he will break the seal. And friends, the reason that the seal has not been broken, the reason the judgments that our earth and our nation are so deserving of have not yet happened is because of the grace and mercy of God. Because what God will do is he is preserving and delaying his judgments because he doesn't want people to have to go through this terrible time of tribulation. But there will come a point where the wrath of God will overflow. In the scriptures, the bowls that you're going to read about are pictured as all the prayers you've ever prayed. The righteous prayers are being stored up in bowls. And there is a point where these will be poured out. When people wonder, why has God not yet answered these prayers for judgment or these, these things of righteousness? And what the scriptures tell us is none of that is lost. It is all being stored up, and there will come a point where it will overflow. And as the seals are broken, what happens is, you, as you read through Revelation, we don't have time today to cover this, you can see that each, as each seal is broken, there is a different judgment associated with it. And the traditional view holds that when you get to the seventh seal, as each part is happening, the seventh seal encompasses all of the trumpet judgments. Each one of those are a set of judgments within themselves. And then when the seventh trumpet is blown, that incorporates the seven bowl judgments. So for those who want to know which one are we in, we're not in any of these yet. The Bible tells us very clearly that there will be rumors of war and times of suffering. And, all, and it says, but these are just the labor pains, the precursors to what is coming. This tribulation will be something that has never before been seen upon the earth. As you read through it, it will be an immense time, whole quarters, thirds of the world and the population at times will be wiped out. I recently read through the book of Revelation with my eight-year-old son. We were finishing reading all the way through the Bible. And about halfway through it, my eight-year-old looked at me and he said, Daddy, aren't we done yet? You know, how much more? And he could grasp just the enormity of the suffering and the things that were coming. Now, some will hold alternate views. Instead of seeing all of the, the trumpets or bowls incorporated in the seventh seal, some will uh, put them in different places. They'll say, when this seal happens, these are the judgments and things. Again, the purpose today is just to give you an overall view of what is happening, not to walk through these. So wherever or however you want to put these judgments together, you can. But I'll tell you this, whatever view you have, you don't want to be here to view it personally when it happens. You don't want to be here when this time of suffering is happening. Now, for those of us who are believers, we don't have to be here to see this. Because what the Bible tells us is, as these times of judgment are taking place, and here you just simply see how they're all incorporated within themselves, it says that we will not be here because we will have been raptured. During this time, there will be many who were not raptured who come to faith. Because, as I told you last time, if the rapture were to occur this morning, if the event called the rapture were to happen at the very moment that we are all seated here, I'm sad to say that there is a, a good probability that there will still be people left sitting here in the sanctuary. Because there are some of you who have a head knowledge about God, but you've never allowed that to travel the 18 inches to your heart, to where you've made a, a, a true profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, what we're looking at today is not about filling our heads with knowledge. 
It is about helping us to see the one who came to save us from our sins. And what the scripture says is when we repent, when we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus to be our savior, it says at that point when we understand that there is nothing that we can do to get to God on our own except going to the one who came to pay that penalty of death for us, that is how we are saved. So for those who have a head knowledge of God but not a heart and a real relationship, when the rapture occurs, guess what? They will be left behind. And many of them will recognize the need that they need to turn fully to God. And they will be able to come to faith during the tribulation. And they will begin to tell others. All the Bibles will remain. They don't get raptured. Sermons like this will not be raptured. They'll be left behind. And so there will be people who will be witnesses for God during this time of tribulation. And the scriptures tell us that there will be many who come to faith in Christ. The Bible tells us that beyond the earthly witnesses, there will, be two human, there will be two special witnesses, beyond the human witnesses that are here physically. Revelation 11.3 tells us, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, you'll recall last time we saw that the prophetic calendar is 360 days. So if you do a little bit of math here, what you find is this is three and a half years which covers the last part of the Great Tribulation. There will be these heavenly witnesses, and as you read about them in Revelation, they are preserved. Nobody can hurt them. And they will be prophesying during this time. There's a point where God will allow them to die, and there will be a big party on earth, but then they're going to they're resurrect. They're going to stand up, and, everybody's, and then they go back to heaven. So during these dark days, there will be many who come to faith in Christ. And of those who come to faith, many of them will be martyred. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 tells us this. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, this is the altar in heaven, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, more martyred, even as they had been, would be completed also. So here what we're doing, we're, we're being given a glimpse into heaven. You understand, we're talking about the tribulation, the events happening here on the earth, but now we're being given a view into heaven as to what is happening. And in heaven, there will also be a judgment taking place. As you look at your chart, what you find at the very top of your chart is something called the Bema Judgment Seat of Christ. And it is called the Bema Seat because it comes from the Greek, Greek word bematos, that uh, eta that you see there is an E, so we pronounce it Bema sometimes. But the bematos is a specific judgment seat and this is not for non-believers. We'll get to the great white throne judgment in just a moment. But what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.10 is, For we, and this is speaking of believers, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bamatos, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. As we look at what this judgment seat is like, you see uh, here is an Olympic medal stand, and this is actually called the Bema Seat. Remember the Greek games? They named it the Bema Seat. And the Bema Seat is not a place of judgment saying, oh, you did really bad. What it's saying is you did well. You ran the race in a way that you earned a bronze. You were even better. You got a silver. And you were the best. You got a gold medal. And what you see there is another passage, 1 Corinthians 3.10. And it tells us about this judgment in heaven. It says, According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. This is speaking of this judgment. 
the refining of our... When you wear a gold ring, a 10-carat ring has been refined to a point where the dross has been burned away. A 24-carat has been in the fire longer. It's purer. And what we're told is that this... Please do not make the mistake of thinking, well, if I'm good enough, I can earn my way to heaven. Because what it says is there is a foundation that has been laid. And what is that foundation? It is faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who purchased our ticket home to heaven, so to speak. He is the one who paid the penalty of death that I owe and you owe for your sins. And when we come to faith in Christ, we have this foundation. And you noticed it said that you could not lose your salvation. It says even if all your stuff is burned up, you will still be there. You will not lose your salvation because Jesus bought and paid for it. But what then happens is how we live our lives once we come to faith in Christ, depending upon how we've invested our lives for eternity. The things that are uh, worthless things in the world, luxury, passing pleasures, all these kind of things, that it, those are going to be burned up. That's wood, hay, and stubble. But the things that are precious, the things that last for all eternity, that fulfilled God's purposes, those are the things that will be refined. And then God will take those things and he will give them to us as our reward. As believers, we were raptured. Remember that we're in heaven. The tribulation is taking place. While we are there before God in heaven, we receive our judgment, and we receive these rewards. Now, the purpose of our rewards, friends, is not to say, hey, look at my bling. I've got more crowns than you. I've got more rewards than you. What we find in the Scripture is one of the rewards that we will receive are called crown rewards. And here you see a chart. Again, these are on our website. And what you see are some of the different crown rewards. There's an imperishable crown for leading a disciplined life. This is found in 1 Corinthians 9.25. There's a crown of rejoicing for evangelism and discipleship in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. We talked a few weeks ago in Philippians where Paul thanked the Philippians about their partnership. And we saw that when we uh, give or pray or are a part of somebody coming to faith in Christ, some reap, some sow, others harvest, we are the ones who get to share in these rewards if we've had a part. A crown of righteousness for loving the Lord's appearing, 2 Timothy 4.8. So for those of you who love prophecy and things like this, there's a reward. No, there's, there's more to it than that. But there's a crown of life for enduring trials. James 1.12, Revelation 2.10 speaks of this. And some of you go through a lot of suffering in your life, and, and God has a purpose for those things. And here we see as well there will be a reward for those who endure certain things. There's a crown of glory for shepherding God's flock faithfully in 1 Peter 5.4. Now, as I said, these rewards are not for us to walk around and say, I've got more uh, bling than you do. What we find in Revelation 4, 10 through 11 is that we will lay these crowns at the feet of Christ in worship. We will be standing face to face with the one who saved us. And it tells us in Revelation 4.10 that the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. Now, when we see these thrones that are around the throne of Jesus, around God's throne, you understand there's another reward in that of proximity. Have you ever been to watch a Spurs game and you've been courtside? Yeah, me, me neither. Uh, usually where I am, I'm, I'm up there in the nosebleed seats. You know, I'm still enjoying the game. And friends, just being in heaven, we will enjoy it. But there will be some who will have courtside seats, so to speak. They'll be there closer the proximity. As you read the scriptures, you see where the, the mother of two of the disciples came and, and she said, Grant, she said to Jesus in Matthew 20, 20, she said, Grant that my two sons will sit on your right and left hand in, in heaven. And the other guys got all mad. Why didn't my mother get to Jesus first, you know? And, and what did Jesus say? He said, this is not for me to give out. It's based upon those who were faithful and sacrificial in their servants. And so there will be proximity rewards where those who were faithful in how they lived their lives will be closer to Christ in heaven. There will be rewards of responsibility. As you read in, in Luke chapter 19, there are some parables there that speak of the coming kingdom. And here's a portion of Luke 19, 15. 
It says, when he returned, this is after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that they might know what business they had done. So it says, when he returned after receiving the kingdom, you see Jesus in view here when we come into this millennial kingdom, it says, the first appeared and said, Master, your mina, it's a, uh, an amount of money, has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came and said, your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, you are to be over five cities. During the millennial kingdom, as we're about to talk about, there will be a, a physical presence here on the earth with real literal cities. And believers who are in heaven that are going to be returning at the second coming of Christ will be given places of authority over these cities. Jesus will be governing, reigning from the Davidic throne in Jerusalem, physically present on the earth. And it says some of us will be in authority over a city like a San Antonio, a large metropolis. Others will have a tiny little spot somewhere else possibly. But depending upon your level of faithfulness, how much you have been trusted with the things God gave to you, he will trust you with areas of responsibility in the coming kingdom. Now, as Christ returns, he does this to set up his kingdom at what is called the second coming. And at the second coming of Christ, I want you to remember this is different from the rapture. Remember, the rapture says we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then we go from the clouds up to heaven. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus will return physically to the earth. The second coming is his bodily return to the earth. Not being a baby as he came the first time at Bethlehem, but he will come as the conquering king. In Zechariah 14.4, it tells us this. And that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus returns physically to the earth, and we who are raptured Christians come back with him as well. As you look at Revelation 19:14, it says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. We come back with Christ, and then the battle of Armageddon takes place. Now, it's called Armageddon because the Hebrew word for mountain is har, H-A-R, and then Megiddo. In Jerusalem, outside in the Middle East, there is a plain called the Plain of Megiddo. There's a city there. And at Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo, where there's a city overlooking this broad plain, is where the nations will come together for this final battle uh, before the millennial kingdom. And at that point, Jesus Christ returns with the armies of heaven, and the earthly armies are wiped out. Those who are there in rebellion against God and his people will be wiped out at Armageddon. Revelation 19.20 tells us that the beast and false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, which we call hell. Now, you also see that Satan is bound. Remember, as we talked about last time, there's this unholy trinity made up of Satan, the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet. They have these different titles. But there are three of them. And at this point in Revelation 19, the beast and false prophet, remember the guy who set up the abomination of desolation during the tribulation? God sends them to judgment in hell, the lake of fire. Satan is not yet placed in the lake of fire. He instead is bound with a, a big chain, it says, and thrown into the abyss. And he will be there, as you read in Revelation 20, verses 2 through 3, for a thousand years. The millennium is another Latin word. Milli means a thousand. So it's called the millennial kingdom because it will last for a thousand years. Now, we know that it lasts for a thousand years because six different times in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, you see the word a thousand. It's the Greek word kylia, which means a thousand. So for a thousand years, there will be this millennial kingdom. Now, remember, I know we're dumping the truck on you all. There's a lot coming at you. So you can review last week and just absorb what you can here. But for those of us who are raptured Christians, there's two groups you need to remember at this point. The raptured Christians are going to be one that we're talking about. And then there are the believers who are on earth. Remember, during the tribulation, many will come to faith in Christ. Many of those will be martyred. 
but there will also be others who are physically alive at the second coming of Christ. The third group in view are the non-believers, those that were gathered together to war against God. We saw that they are wiped out in, in this battle, and if any were not physically there at the battle, you can look at Matthew 20, 24, 40. It says in Matthew 24, 40 through 41, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Now, this is not the rapture where we are taken to heaven, but it says one will be taken, that's judgment, they're removed. The other will be left here on the earth. It goes on and says, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken in judgment, is what it's talking about, and one will be left. So what we have is, there will be people physically living on the earth, just like you are today. You can pinch yourself and say, yeah, I've got flesh and blood, I'm alive. And these people will go into the millennial kingdom on earth. Now remember, Jesus Christ has returned to the earth. He will physically be present in the Jerusalem uh, reigning from the Davidic throne. The nations, as you read the passages that you, you see here, uh, there, will be, there will be the nations coming before Jesus. Again, I wish we had time to just go through all this. We could spend months on this. But you can read those passages at home and you will see the nations are physically coming before Jesus to present worship to him. Now, as we talked about last time, there will be some who see him physically. They know who he is, but they will not come to faith. And we'll talk about what happens with them in just a moment. But there are those people who are coming and going physically on the earth, and you and I have returned. So where do we live? Well, as you look in the scripture, there's something called the New Jerusalem. And the New Jerusalem, you see it there in Revelation 3.12, verses 21-2, and in chapters 21 um, and 22 of Revelation, you can read about the New Jerusalem. And I encourage you to read it. It is amazing. And as you look at what the New Jerusalem will be like, this will be our home. Now, while the people are living physically here on the earth, things will be a little different. Remember, Satan has been bound for the thousand years, so he's not doing all of his, his dastardly deeds. Jesus is here physically. There will be a quality and longevity of life on the earth that is different than what we face today. As you read Isaiah 65, 20, it says, No longer will there be in it an infant who, who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. Do you see the longevity of life? We will be living longer. There will be this higher quality. Now, remember, you're physically alive. Those of you who are marrying during this time are having children, and your children are having children. So the earth is being repopulated physically during this. We who are believers, the scripture is clear that when we go to heaven, we are not given in marriage. So we're not multiplying in heaven. We're in our eternal state. But we're living here on the earth helping to reign with Christ, and our home is actually hovering above the earth. You can look at what it tells us about uh, there in the passage. Now, one of the features, you see this picture, and I didn't do a big one because I don't want you to try to see what some artist has said the New Jerusalem will look like because, friends, they can't even get close. It is mind-blowing how beautiful it will be. But one of the features of it is that it will be a cube. It is a perfect cube that is 12,000 stadii in length. So that's a 1,380 miles. Some take it as high as 1,500 miles. So you think about it, it's as far and wide. And if you're wanting to get an idea of the size of it, that's the city of New Jerusalem. It will be that large. Now, it will not only be that, that large, wide, taking up uh, that kind of space, but remember, it's that high as well. And so it will reach into the heavens. The International Space Station, at the height of its orbit, is 250 miles high. This is 1,380 miles into space. You want a penthouse view? This is it. We are going to get to see an amazing, an amazing uh, thing while we are in the New Jerusalem. Even more amazing than all of those things is the fact Jesus Christ will physically be there in the, the new city with us. This is the place that Jesus said in John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. This is our home, our eternal home. 
Now, while it's hovering over the earth, remember there are those that are physically present. They're not going to be able to come into the new Jerusalem. The scriptures tell us there are gates that are being guarded by angels. And if you say, well, I'll just break through the walls, the walls are 144 cubits or 216 feet thick. As the millennium comes to a close, Revelation 27 through 9 tells us, remember, Satan has been bound during this thousand years. Well, in Revelation 20, verse 7, God will release Satan. He will regather those who were physically on the earth who never came to true faith in Christ. And there will be a final battle called the Battle of Gog and Magog. Now, this is different than the Gog and Magog that you see in Ezekiel Uh, the book of Ezekiel, that deals with the battle of Armageddon. Again, you can sit down at your leisure and walk through this chart. But what happens at this battle is God says, I will end rebellion for, for all time. And he will take and he will throw Satan into the lake of fire, as you see there in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 19 and verse 10. Now, As I told you last time, Satan doesn't run hell. Our comic strips like to show him with a pitchfork kind of being in control of hell. He is there in judgment. The beast and false prophet have already been thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation 19, 19, and Satan joins them. Now, unfortunately, there will be people who will join them as well, because what we find is then what takes place is the great white throne judgment. And I want you to to look at Revelation chapter 20 with me. It's the last book in the Bible. We read this last time, but it bears repeating today. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, this is what we're told. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, Don't miss that. There's plural books and there's a singular book. The singular book, we're told, is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books. Notice that plural, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What it tells us, friends, is that when we come before Jesus Christ, who is seated on the great white throne judgment at this point, it says that he will look in the book of life. Now, he already knows the fact that you are there at this judgment says your name is not in the book of life. And what the book of life is, is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you accept him to be your savior, your name is recorded there. And people sometimes say, well, what about those who didn't know the name of Jesus? We read in the Old Testament that it said, Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God is one who knows those who know him. And those who are at the great white throne judgment have said, I'm not going to base my my hope of heaven on what you did, Jesus. I'm going to do it my way. And so what God says is, okay, I'm going to open the books that record everything you've ever done in your life, the good and the bad. And I don't care how good you are. You may have lots of good things there. If you have even one bad thing you've done, what the scripture calls sin. And friends, all of us here have sinned because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin literally means to miss the mark, to not be perfect. If you've ever lied, you've ever taken a cookie, you've ever done one thing wrong, you're a sinner. And the problem with sin is that Romans 6.23 says the wages, wages are what we earn, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you refuse to receive God's great gift of grace, then what God says is you will have to pay the penalty of sin yourself. He died for us on the cross to pay that penalty But if you've rejected that, as he looks in the books, he says, you've been a nice person, but I see you're a sinner. Therefore, you owe the penalty of sin, which is death. And since you didn't accept my payment of it, you get to pay it yourself. And you were sent to the lake of fire, which is called the second death. You were there at the great white throne judgment because you have died physically. This is the end of your life. Now, some people like to say, well, maybe there's hope that everybody gets a second chance. But what Hebrews 9.27 tells us is it is appointed for men to die once and then comes judgment. 
Friends, there are no second chances. Based upon what you have decided in this lifetime will decide where you spend eternity. And what we see here is that everyone who comes before the great white throne judgment is sent to the place that we call hell, the lake of fire. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now we saw that at the great white throne judgment, heaven and earth fled away. And what we are told as you read the scriptures, it says that the, the new heavens and the new earth are created at this time. 2 Peter 3, 7 says, The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. That's the, lake, that's the great white throne judgment. As you read Romans 8, 21 through 22, it tells us that the world itself, the physical creation, is crying out. It is groaning, waiting for its own day of redemption because it has been polluted, corrupted by sin. And God will remove all sign of sin. All rebellion is gone. Satan is bound and thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity, never to get out of there. All the sin is removed from the earth, and the earth is recreated in a new state of perfection. It says in Revelation 21, uh, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now notice the new earth and heavens will be somewhat different than the physical earth we know. Our earth today is predominantly covered by seas, oceans. But it says in the new earth, there will not be this prominent water feature. But there will be another prominent water feature. Because in Revelation 22.1, which is speaking of this new Jerusalem that has been hovering over the earth, this is the only thing that will move over into eternity, into the eternal state. It says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river of life is there, the tree of life, that Adam and Eve were removed from the garden so they would not live eternally is there. It tells us we will not have the sun and the stars and the moon like we see today because our light will come from Jesus Christ who will be seated on the throne in the new Jerusalem. Again, I encourage you to read through those passages in Revelation 21 and 22 to see what this eternal home will be like. Now, as we end today, there's much more that we could talk about, but I want you to, to go through this yourselves. What I want you to do is just if you've been trying to process all this and you say, what does this all really mean for me? I want you just to watch this brief video, which I think will help. Are you ready? Now maybe you're sitting here today saying, I'm ready. 
But what about friends you know? Co-workers? The next-door neighbor? Even a stranger on the street? Brothers and sisters in Christ, what we've looked at today is not to fill our heads with knowledge, to say, wow, that's really cool and interesting, this, isn't, this, this sounds fun, or, or okay, what am I going to do with this? When you walk out of the door of Wayside today, if you are ready, what God says is, it is our job as believers to share with others what has been revealed to us. It is not a secret for us to keep, it is a secret for us to share To say to them, there is a son of man called Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who came to pay the penalty of death for sins that all of us commit. And there is only one way home to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And what God calls on us to do is to go into the world and share about the one who came to be the payment for their sins. If you're here today and you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, friends, I'm not trying to scare you today. What I want you to do, though, is to really understand that what has been revealed to us is real, and it will happen, just as God said. And the only reason God has delayed so far is because of his great grace. To say that he doesn't want those who are on the earth to have to go through that terrible time of tribulation, but it is coming. And Jesus is coming back just as he said. And if you're here today and you've never turned to him, turned from your sins into Jesus and said, I am a sinner and I need you, And I believe, God, that you came to be the payment for my sins. And today, Jesus, I'm turning to you. I'm asking you to come into my life, to be the one who is the Lord of my life. Then I invite you to do so today, just simply to say to God, I am a sinner. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. If you'd like to accept his great gift of grace, I invite you just to bow your heads and pray this prayer with me as we close. Dear God, I am a sinner. I've tried to be good. I've tried to live my life in a way that would honor you. But I've made mistakes. There are times I've been selfish and I've done what I've wanted. I've taken things that were not mine. I've I've dishonored you in other ways. I thank you, God, that in spite of who I am and all that I've done, that you tell me in your word in Romans 5, 8, that you demonstrated your own love for me in this. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough to take my place, to go to the cross to pay my penalty of sin, which was death. And today, Jesus, I'm accepting your great gift of new life. I'm turning from my sins into you to be my Savior. Thank you for the great gift of new life that I have. And Lord God, for all of us who have come to you, who have maybe been careless in how we've been living or are not sharing the, the truth of who you are and what's to come, we pray that today, God, we would be those who would be more faithful, that we would be sharing with others the hope that we have and the truth of the way home through you, Jesus. So help us to go into the world and share the good news of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, there are prayer leaders at the front. I'll be here at the front. We would love to talk to you to help you understand the step of faith you just took. And for the rest of us who know him, let's go into the world and share the good news of who Jesus is and what is to come. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.